today on Ag News Daily. The next 10 days are going to be very pivotal for the grain markets, energy markets, and a lot of these markets as a whole. And a lot of it's going to be based on what happens in China. Certainly some of it's going to be based on what happens with the coronavirus and the state's responses. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here coming to you on day 4,026 of quarantine. <laughs> for those of us who are city dwellers, I know a lot of our Farmer listeners are out there in the field, or they were over the weekend, assuming they dodged some of those pockets of rain. But I'm joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you doing? I'm good. It, it does feel like day 4,952 or whatever on quarantine. In reality, it's only like, you know, the week six, seven, eight for people. But uh, yeah, definitely ready to be done with this. Absolutely. And we know some states really started this weekend lifting those restrictions. We saw some movement in the market, at least on the meat side, as uh, traders are optimistic that perhaps we could start seeing some demand filter back into restaurants. However, I wanted to kick off our ag news portion of the show with uh, some stock market news. We've got earnings season going on right now. Uh, Companies are reporting their quarterly earnings, and earlier today, Tyson Foods was one of those that reported their earnings. Um, They say, you know, we've talked quite a bit about the Defense Production Act being utilized to uh, hopefully keep meat processors in action or, or get those closed processors back up and running. But Tyson said that as this coronavirus thing continues to sweep through the country, and, you know, they say there is the possibility we could see waves of this thing, we are going to see more meat plant disruptions. This could be an ongoing concern. So what Tyson highlighted during their earnings call throughout the year, Uh, they did report lower than expected earnings, not terribly surprising given the disruption. And, you know, it's interesting. I think a lot of us on the ag production side, we look at the packers and, you know, we see gross profit of uh, on a, on a steer of, you know, 12 to 13, 1500 bucks a head. You know, we look at uh, the profitability on, on a pork animal right now, on a poultry bird, same story. And we think, gosh, these guys have to be raking in the money. But I think this earnings call was a good reminder that for companies like Tyson or probably Smithfield and some of the others, I, I won't speak to the other Packers. Tyson was the only one that spoke today. The drop in restaurant business mm-hmm. really hurt their earnings. It could not all be made up at the grocery store, even as meat prices climbed to record highs. So we are seeing this thing struggle. Uh, Tyson shares were down 8% after the call. And uh, they said they are concerned that meat sales will fall in the second half of the year because they do not anticipate restaurant demand to come back full swing. Yeah, I was reading through some uh, information tied to that as well. And they said they are seeing a 36% drop from quarter two of this year compared to quarter two of last year. That makes sense. Makes absolute sense. It does. And in other meat packing related news, we of course are seeing that Sioux Falls Smithfield facility reopened this week. But we're also seeing reports of more workers dying from COVID-19. 20 workers in meat and poultry processing facilities in 19 states have died and nearly 5,000 have been diagnosed with COVID-19. So, okay, this is going to sound mean, but 20 people passing away to produce our nation's meat supplies. You know, I, I have a hard time in my mind justifying that in thinking that literally our whole meat supply chain could be, you know, decimated for quite a while. 
Well, and you know, I think the the argument is going to boil down to could those deaths have been prevented if the Packers were providing PPE? Right. You know, I think that's what this discussion is ultimately going to come down to. Uh, could they have mitigated the risks from their employees better from the start rather than letting meat plants for whatever reason? I've heard people say, you know, it's because of the, the living conditions of a lot of the meat plant workers. It's because of the tight congested, uh, you know, lines of the processing facilities. That's why all these things became hotspots. But I think the focus is going to be okay. And I think this is what uh, Secretary Purdue is trying to address with the, the DPA order and allowing OSHA and the CDC to review reopening plans is, is there a better way to continue to process meat that wouldn't put employees in danger of contracting and then you know potentially dying of this disease? Yeah, right. And I think that's the key is the PPE equipment, not necessarily shutting down the facilities altogether because we know that's not really an, a way to address this, but definitely putting in worker safety for this type of situation. <laughs> Yeah, and regardless, I think the disruptions to the meat supply chain are going to be ongoing. You know, there was a fascinating article I read on Reason.com about how really a lot of the social distancing happened before these uh, shelter at home or stay in place orders were put into effect. People were avoiding restaurants, they were avoiding bars, they were avoiding movie theaters before those things were shut down by the government. Now, that raises the question, as reopening happens, whether it's in Georgia or Tennessee or parts of Iowa or, you know, you name it, Colorado, all these other states that are slowly reopening, the big million-dollar question for the agriculture sector is, when will people as a whole feel comfortable going back and eating at restaurants, going back to bars, going out to, uh, you know, whatever, places to eat food? And that's the question. And I don't think anybody really has an answer for that yet. And I think that's why Tyson said we could continue to see sales off for the remainder of the year. However, Delaney, grocery stores have been impacted as, you know, the supply chain has tried to reorient itself from retail, you know, on the restaurant side, on the institution side towards grocery stores. They haven't always been able to make that shift smoothly. And we are seeing reports of some grocery stores limiting meat purchases. Costco was announced this morning that they are limiting the number of beef, pork, and poultry products customers can buy as they try to basically stockpile meat in anticipation of shortages over the next couple of weeks. Um, they, they are saying they're going to limit uh, fresh beef, poultry, and pork purchases to a total of three items per Costco member. So I read that to mean you can get one beef, one pork, and one poultry, or three beef and no pork and poultry, or three pork, you know, something like that. Um, that's how they are intending to do this, and they're following the footsteps of Kroger, uh, another very large grocery chain that put uh, purchase limits on ground beef and fresh pork at some of their stores late last week. I believe they made that announcement. All right. Well, I'm going to switch tracks just a little bit here because we talked about this on Friday and I think it was obvious today that the markets reacted, but President Trump's announcement that he is putting tariffs back on the table, more specifically $250 billion worth of Chinese tariffs could be now in new tariffs or raised tariffs compared to where they were because of not only, you know, the phase one deal, but because of also President Trump blaming China for either starting COVID-19 and or not really doing enough to prevent it or announce to the public that this was going on. 
But I think interestingly enough, I was talking today with Bill Biederman, who is one of the agmarket.net guys. And he said, you know, this has the potential to drastically impact the way that we do our ag marketing. He said, you know, I don't know what that is going to look like, but he said, if, if these tariffs go on and we do see that happen and we don't see China coming to the table to buy, he said, he thinks that this is not going to be a pretty outlook for U.S. agriculture. And he thinks that the way we market our commodities is going to change very drastically, very quickly as guys are already facing some tight margins. Yeah, you know, I think he's exactly right. And you look at uh, farmers who have made a living out of marketing either directly a large portion or a majority of their crop to ethanol plants. Mm -hmm. And they're already having to rethink their marketing channels. And we take a, a big export customer out of the picture again. Remember, we've already made it through a year without China as an ag buyer. They, they didn't make any purchases to speak of in 2019. Uh, but we had ample domestic demand going on in 2019. We had, uh, you know, the hog herd growing. We had plenty of demand for bean meal. We had ample demand for corn as the ethanol industry was, was still an industry. And now as we look ahead to 2020, you know, the export leg of the stool was one of the only ones that was potentially a bright spot as we're looking at China having to restock their, uh, their surpluses. And uh, yeah, President Trump said that punishing China is more important to him than this phase one deal that we spent a year trying to negotiate. And like you mentioned, that could go away and $250 million of new taxes on Americans could come into play if President Trump decides to put these tariffs on. And then, of course, China would no doubt retaliate. So, I mean, we could see exports dry up. We certainly could. And we hope that that will not be the case. But President Trump is a tariff man. We all know that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know what? To be fair, Americans really were able to pay those higher taxes um, mm -hmm. in tariffs That's in 2019 and a lot of the goods that came from China. So, I, I mean, maybe we'll, you know, although people have a lot less money now, who knows? Uh, it's possible that this coronavirus could have lasting supply chain disruptions. And uh, at the end of the day, the only thing we can control here in this country is our domestic demand. So get out there and buy some pork, buy some beef. If you go to Costco, use up your three item limit and buy all three. Yes, stock up. Um, we did see some movement in oil. You know, we talked about the ethanol industry. Of course, they have been struggling. It has been catastrophic for ethanol. But we did see the oil market move a little higher today. Uh, basically, traders are looking around. They're saying it sounds like we could start to see restrictions lifted. Um, data came out showing that folks are driving more. We're only down about 7% of, uh, of driven miles from a year ago versus we we're down 16% two weeks ago. So folks are starting to get out their vehicles. They're starting to drive a little bit more. The weather's warming up. This could be bullish for oil. And uh, that's starting to raise the price, which you know, once it climbs a little bit more, could help start putting margin back on the table for ethanol producers, could start seeing uh, ethanol return to the market and maybe see some of these plants come back online. So I thought that was a little piece of good news. I wanted to get in there today. Well, another little good piece of... Another little piece of good news, that was a little bit of a tongue twister there, is the small business loans, more specifically the Paycheck Protection Program that we know agriculture is eligible for. That process for this additional funding that came through, those portals and those applications reopened today. So again, we remember how fast that pool of money got sucked up and used the first round of the PPP program. So again, if you are a farm or an individual entity, an individual person that is a business 
you know, you need to get in there and talk to your bankers because I don't think that this pool of money is going to last particularly long either. But maybe so, because senators are due back in Washington, D.C. this week. And on their list of to-do things, Mike, is to take a crack here at another CARES package, a CARES 2.0 bill, if you will, to figure out how to support the American system while we continue to see declines in the grocery store and the meat counter, you know, in unemployment and et cetera. So I don't know what this next round of stimulus could look like. Perhaps we will see more allocated into the PPP program, but I don't think I would wait on that to see. Yeah, get in there, call your banker. I'm not entirely certain that uh, existing applications carry over to this new round. Mm -hmm. So call your banker, get an application filed, and let's get some things done. Delaney, should we jump into the markets? Let's do it. Well, let's see. We had some mixed uh, mixed trade in the grain study. And folks, our markets are brought to us by our friends at agmarket.net. Delaney mentioned Bill Biederman earlier. We've got a talented team over there. If you want help controlling your risk on your operation, check them out. Their website is right there in their name, agmarket.net. As I mentioned, mixed trade in the grains. Everything was down earlier. We did see a little bit of a bounce back in corn and wheat and even soybeans closed off their lows for the day. In the corn market, the July contract was down three cents at 3.15 and a half, while the December was down two and three quarters to close at 3.34 even. Beans were the big loser. Again, that tariff fight with China really raised the specter of some future downside movement in the bean contract. And that's what we saw. July was off 13 cents at 8.36 and a half with the November down nine and a quarter to close at 8.45 and three quarters. Wheat ended up in the green in Chicago. The July contract was up three cents at 5.19 and a half with the December up one and a quarter to close at three, excuse me, 5.30 and a quarter. Livestock was all green all day today. Although we did close off the lows, it is still reassuring for a lot of our livestock producing friends to see some green on the screen. June live cattle up 82 and a half cents at 88.0750. The August up 50 cents to close at 93.05. Feeder cattle up more than a buck. The May was up $1.25 at 119.07 half. The August up $1.3250 to finish at 128.97 half. And in lean hogs, big moves to the upside. The June was up $2.80 to close at 65.50. The July up $1.30 at 65.42 half. And in dairy, class three milk up big on the day. The May class three contract up 29 cents to close at 11.52. The June up 75 cents, almost breaking the $13 handle. June closed the day at 12.94. Without further ado, let's dive into these numbers and everything that that could impact on your operation with a good friend from Zaner Ag Hedge, Ted Seifert. Well, as promised for today's hashtag Market Monday discussion, we've got good friend of the podcast, Ted Seifert of the Zaner Group, Ted. Thanks for joining today. You holding up during COVID-19? Yeah, Delaney. Uh, I guess as well as uh, we all are, I suppose. It's uh, it's certainly not fun, <laughs> but no. it is what it is, right? It is what it is. And unfortunately, it seems like it is what it is when it comes to President Trump announcing we're going to have some new tariffs or could have some new tariffs on China. Today's bad day, poor day in the soybean markets. Was it all related to that threat of maybe some new tariffs going on? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of it, Delaney. Um, you know, soybeans of the grain complex certainly took the weekend news the worst, right? I, you know, you think you start to get a little bit of traction with the phase one trade deal. We have seen a few smaller Chinese purchases come in lately. 
And then we start talking about, uh, you know, putting more tariffs on China and starting trade war 2.0. And, you know, the stock market had a problem with that here Monday. Soybeans took exception to that as well. Uh, but I'd also say that, you know, planting progress uh, last week was a big concern for corn on Monday when we were down 10 cents. And lo and behold, we saw a massive amount of planting progress on last Monday's afternoon um, uh, report. And I think for this week, the concern is a little bit more about soybeans. So I think that's part of it as well. But when it comes to the trade deal, wow. Um, you know, every day I feel like China is getting more and more scrutiny from the entire world about the coronavirus and how they unleashed this pandemic on the world, whether they created it or not, they didn't properly control it or explain the risks to the rest of the world. Um, because you know, China, as we have known for years and years, is very secretive about a lot of things and doesn't really come out with information that could be potentially very beneficial for other countries, especially in a situation like this. So the rest of the world is getting very angry with China. And we're not an exception to that. As you mentioned, you know, Trump over the weekend talking about launching more tariffs against China as a retaliation, not necessarily about uh, the fact that they haven't, for the most part, lived up to their phase one trade deal, but more so in response to how they dealt with COVID-19. It occurs to me, though, Delaney, uh, this would be a very, very good time for China to step up and try to make good on that phase one trade deal. Not just for us, but just to show the whole world that they're going to keep up with their promises and try to be a, a good community, a good citizen of the world community. Uh, so why aren't they doing that? Especially when you've got energies and, and grains, soybeans, meats, hogs, all of the things that they really need to buy are down at really low levels. So it's, to me, it seems like this is a very big opportunity for China. And, and I think in the next 10 days, we're going to find out what China's intentions are here. Do they want a war? If they do, then they will do nothing. And we will launch into trade war 2.0, which could ex escalate into much more than that. And that is the concern the markets have right now. But if they don't want that, I think there could be a, a significant amount of buying happening here in a sh fairly short period of time. And put that together with a little bit less favorable planting forecast, and we could be in store for a, a pretty sizable turnaround in the grain markets. So the next 10 days are going to be very pivotal for the grain markets, energy markets, and a lot of these markets as a whole. And a lot of that's going to be based on what happens with China. Certainly some of it's going to be based on what happens with the coronavirus and the state's responses to some of us are opening up and some of us are locking down tighter. Uh, you seem to have a dichotomy here in the United States uh, where, where certain states are going in different directions of others. And I don't know, you know, I, I'll say this, I, I get the feeling that whether the governments of individual states want to reopen or not, as a whole, I feel like the, Amer the American people want mm -hmm. to reopen. We had a job, we had a task that was handed to us and that was flattening the curve. Well, by really most of, of the statistics uh, that we're looking at, we've done that. And so we should be in a phase where we are starting to reopen again. Yeah, I understand that the high-risk individuals, such as my mother, should stay in their house. Um, but those of us that are able-bodied and not at high risk, we have a job to do. And that is to go out 
and restart this economy, build the antibodies that we collectively need to fight this thing, because it's not going away. It was never the plan for this to go away. We knew that wasn't a possibility. We wanted to flatten the curve. We've done that. And the longer we wait to go back out there, the more damage we cause, because if we over flatten the, the curve and we create a valley, well, then we create a potential for another peak going into the winter months again. And that will have really taken away any of the benefit that we had for flattening the curve in the first place. And it will have come at a tremendous cost to our country from an economic perspective and just from a social well-being perspective. Um, so now is the time to get back out there. I really, truly believe that. And I think we are moving towards that as a country. And that will be good for things like energy or mm -hmm. ethanol, um, for demand, for, for grains, for meats, for really everything. So I don't know. I, I, I'm feeling fairly optimistic at the moment that there are some good things coming. Ted, um, I want to I I interrupt you here for a second sure. because I, I want to go back to something that you were talking about with China because the thing that has baffled me, and I'm sure you have an opinion on it, has been the fact that Chinese corn futures are trading at a pretty good premium compared to U.S. corn futures, and yet they're still not coming to the table. Why is that? Yeah, I don't know. Um, th there's a, a, a ton of reasons for China to come and buy right now. It would help their domestic prices for them to come in and buy cheaper and, and, you know, bring supply in from other places, such as us. Uh, they have a phase one trade deal to commit to. They are looking bad for the rest of the world. There is good reason for them to come in and try to look better. There is every reason in the world for China to come in and buy, from what I can tell. And they're not doing that. So what are the reasons for that, Delaney? I don't know. Um, will they buy or not? I don't know. They should. But they are not, should. that remains to be seen. <clears throat> yes, indeed. And Ted, you mentioned something opening up would create more people driving. That's going to drive up uh, crude demand, which is in turn going to build some margin back in for ethanol producers. And uh, Lord knows the ethanol industry certainly needs it. But despite the trouble that we're seeing in ethanol, despite the collapse of basis across the country as ethanol plants have quit buying, we have seen a lot of corn acres going into the ground. Earlier this year, on March 30th, USDA said we could see 97 million acres of corn. We all mm -hmm. kind of laughed that number off. The trade didn't really take it seriously. Given the pace at which planting has progressed so far, right. where do you think acres might actually come in for corn? Well, you know, that 97 million acres becomes a lot more feasible uh, with the place of, pace of planting. I think that's what you're getting at, but that's exactly right. And, and that is something that the market has had to digest. Again, go back to last week, Monday, and we were down 10 cents in corn. Today wasn't a great day either because we're looking at this planting progress saying, oh, wow, we might actually get upwards of 97 million acres, maybe get a, a hundred million acres of corn because we've seen so many years uh, in the past where when we get off to a really good start like this, we get very close or better than the intentions that we had back in the planting intentions reports. So that is definitely a concern. Now you do have some problem spots, uh, the Dakotas. I mean, I still have guys struggling to get harvest done from last year uh, and they keep getting rain. There's going to be a, a lot of prevent plant acres in the Dakotas, it seems. Um, so you will lose some acres there, but I don't know. I think it's very re realistic to think that we're going to get 95, 96, maybe even 97 million acres of corn now at this point. Um, and that's, I mean, that's a, a two to three million acres more than what I think we were all kind of talking about when we saw that planting intentions report. I don't feel like we're seeing as big of a shift to soybeans as what we were originally thinking. And that's because we've had the opportunity to go out and plant corn as aggressively as we have.
Ted, so you mentioned something about a, a turnaround and I cut you off a little bit earlier, but are you thinking that there's some potential movers here to turn around these grain markets, even with all of that in mind with the higher acreage numbers? Well, when you say higher acreage numbers and grains, I mean, you were talking about corn. So we didn't really talk about soybeans because okay. if we're going to push these corn acres, I don't know, maybe I, I feel like 180.5 million acres of row crops is higher than what the reality is going to be. That would be a record. And so if we are going to plant the corn acres, is that going to come at the expense of soybean acres? And I'm starting to think that might be the case. I'm wondering if we're going to get 81 and a half, maybe 82 million acres of, of soybeans. It might be less than that. So I think there's opportunity for, for soybeans there. Domestic crush is really very strong, and that will continue, especially in lack of ethanol and DDG, uh, DDG produ uh, production. So I think there's a lot of opportunities there for soybeans, and I, and I think we're kind of missing that opportunity to some extent as farmers by not planting more soybean acres. So that's interesting. Uh, I definitely think there's potential for turnaround in the energies market. Um, when you have crude oil prices as low as they have, you get a lot of production shut down. And yes, we have a lot of supplies, but as we get back out and start moving again, we'll start to chew through those supplies. And then we will have to push prices up high enough in order to get that production back online. So yeah, the function of the market going forward should be for higher crude oil prices at some point, higher energy prices as a whole, once we start moving around again. I think there's a lot of opportunities to own a lot of things. Livestock uh, is another one. Once we get past all the production shutdowns, all the, the packer shutdowns, and we start fulfilling the demand that's out there again, there's a lot of upside potential there. So there's, there's a lot of very interesting opportunities in a situation like this. It's a matter of timing, and that's a very tricky thing to try to figure out right now. But I think we're moving towards that timing where things start to get better again. Maybe not great, but certainly better than what we're looking at on the board for a lot of things. So, Ted, before we let you go, you touched on it right there. Livestock, we had another positive day today. We've seen limit moves to the upside last week on the pork side of the ledger. Are we through the worst when it comes to livestock pricing, at least in the futures market? Nah, I mean, when you, when you ask that question, you really are asking the question, are we through the worst of the you know, COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, uh, is this going to get better or worse from here? And I don't know. Uh, but as I've been saying, you know, I feel like we need to go out and find out. We need to get back to work. And I think at least for a time, we're going to see production start to, re to, to get stronger again. I think packers are going to try their hardest to stay open. We've got packers margins that are off the charts, record, fantastic. And the function of the market is to make sure that these guys have the, the profit margins to keep production out there, to keep facilities open, to produce at higher levels to offset the, the facilities that are shut down. Uh, you've got the government working to, to make it so that they can't be sued by the workers that are, are, are uh, in place. So I think for a lot of reasons, yes, our, our packing uh, capabilities are going to start increasing. I think there's a lot of reasons to think that, that cattle and hog futures prices have reason to go higher. Uh, cash is still trading higher. We're still trading at a steep discount. I think we need to close that. So yeah, I'm rather optimistic there's upside potential for, for cattle and for hogs from where we are right now. But who knows what happens with the virus in the long run. A lot of uncertainties, a lot of risk still out there for everybody's operation. Ted, if our listeners want help and assistance managing that market risk, I know that's what you do there at Zaner Ag Hedge. How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, you can reach me directly at 312-277-0113. You can also find us at the, on the web at www.zaner.com. You can read a bit about us, 
You can sign up for our morning hedge newsletter. You can open an account on that website. So feel free to check it out. And if you happen to be on Twitter, I am at the Ted spread. Check it out. Perfect. Ted Seifert, Zaner Eggheads, thanks so much for taking the time to break down the markets for us today. My pleasure. Take care, guys. All right. Well, again, a big thank you there to Ted Seifred. Lots to dissect today, Mike. And we didn't even get to talk ethanol, which is one of his favorite topics. Yeah. You know, I think we'll have a lot of time to discuss ethanol as this uh, season drags on. The big question is, will folks get out and drive? And can we actually see some demand for ethanol get built up out there in the country? And I I think a lot of uh, producers' fingers are crossed that we can. Certainly, I will be getting out and driving. And if you're getting out and driving, you know what you should be listening to? The Act News Daily Podcast. You can find us on Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, all of those good places wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can always listen to us online at agnewsdaily.com. And while you're there, check out some of the other fantastic podcasts that are part of our network. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 